When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. To our new listeners, welcome. To our old listeners, welcome back. Another episode of Magical Education awaits you, but first we would like to say a few words. Nitwit, blubber, oddment, tweak. Podcast nine and three quarters topic of the week is Are Life Debts Real? listeners i'm jem and this week i'll be arguing that yes life debts are real and i'm ria and this week i'm arguing that life debts are definitely not real false false profit (laughs) (laughs) they're just a lie that an old man made up (laughs) because he likes to lie (laughs) i mean i'm not gonna lie like dumbledore likes to lie yes i will take that but um they're definitely real and i'll define them for you now (laughs) if you wish okay Life debts in the HP universe are a mm-hmm. magical bond formed between a wizard or witch and the person whose life they saved. The one who owes mm-hmm. the life debt to the savior would one day be obliged to repay the deed by doing something beneficial to the said savior. Okay. Mm-hmm. And we don't have any more information, right? Um, we, we do have a bit more information. They can be formed regardless of whether the parties want it or not. Um, so mm-hmm. we see that in the case of uh, Harry and Peter Pettigrew formed a life debt, and the, even though Harry didn't want to have that life debt, and probably Peter Pettigrew didn't want that either, the life debt was formed, yeah. and that was that. And Supposedly. Uh, Allegedly. <laughs> Allegedly. Okay. Uh, the bond is magically binding, so the indebted could repay the debt without acknowledging it, or even against their own will. Okay. Mm. But we don't have any information on what happens if you don't pay back the life debt. I have some theories of what happens. Okay. All right. Because I couldn't find anything, yeah. which adds into my theory. Yeah. You're right. There is a very limited amount of information on the intricacies of life debts, the history of life debts, and what happens if mm-hmm. a life debt is broken or not repaid. So it is a lot of trying to fill in the blanks. But reasonably, with the theories I've come up with, I think it still fits and works for the Harry Potter universe and how it explains it. So mm-hmm. I believe that they're real. And I truly believe okay. that. It's not just for the episode. <laughs> <laughs> this is one of the ones where we rarely actually do disagree in real life and we're both arguing what we believe. <laughs> nice. That's always fun. I like these episodes. I don't think we've done this since um, Is Voldemort a Virgin? <laughs> <laughs> I'll die on that hill. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, little peek behind the scenes, listeners. This episode was my idea because... I've had this theory that life debts aren't real just for so long. It feels like my entire life I've believed this. So I think the reason why we have no information on 
the history of life deaths and the consequences and like the intricacies is because they just don't exist. <laughs> They're not a real thing that is ex- that is real in the world. So basically, either ever since I read like the seventh book for the first time or the first book for the seventh time or something like that, way back when I was a baby, <laughs> I've had this thought that Dumbledore was just lying to Harry because when we first learn about life deaths at the end of the first book, Harry's in the hospital wing and Dumbledore's doing his yearly dose of cryptic bullshit. <laughs> and Harry's like, if Snape hates me so much, then why did he try to save my life? And Dumbledore's like, because your father once saved Snape's life. So he owed James and he paid back that debt by saving you. But then like, that's just bullshit. That's just not true. <laughs> because when you learn more about Snape and James and Lily and the backstory there, it doesn't, nothing adds up. Like Snape tried to protect Harry in first year because Dumbledore ordered him to. And in a bigger, grander sense, because he failed to save Lily and Lily would have wanted Harry to be safe. And that's why he protects Harry, blah, blah, blah. All that bullshit that's happening there. So my headcanon for here is that Harry started asking questions that Dumbledore didn't want to answer. So Dumbledore was just like, uh, yeah, Snape saved you because, um, your dad saved him and he owed him a debt and, um, yeah, that's the only reason. No more questions. Go to sleep now, Harry. (laughs) And then, like, he walked out of the hospital wing (laughs) and he was like, yeah, I reckon he bought that. This kid knows fuck about magic. (laughs) And then he just walked away. Moon walked out of the room. (laughs) Okay. Um, see, it's complicated because I agree with you, but I also don't agree with you. <laughs> so <laughs> you agree with me because everything I'm saying is the truth. <laughs> like that is 100% Dumbledore's MO. Well, it's Dumbledore's MO. I think Dumbledore was lying to Harry. I think when he said um Snape was paying a life debt that he had to James Potter, that was a lie to shut Harry up because it's too complicated to explain yeah. all that bullshit and, and Snape would kill Dumbledore if anyone found out. So he just tells 11-year-old injured Harry that oh, you know, it was it was a life debt. But I don't think that Dumbledore was pulling that out of his ass. I think that life debts are a real thing in the world, and Dumbledore's aware of the magic behind them, but it's never really explained in the books, like a lot of other ancient magics. Like, we learn a bit about love magic and love protection, but we don't learn the finer intricacies of love magic. And there's the whole different rooms in the um, Department of Mysteries that we have our headcanons about, but we don't learn about that in the series. It's all extra things for you to fill in the holes for yourself. So I think life debts are still real. Okay. And I have theories about um, the whole Snape and James Potter life debt. And I think Mm. that it was real, but what Snape was doing, uh, how Dumbledore explained it in the first book, oh, Snape was uh, paying the debt back. I don't think Snape was paying the debt back at all. I think, like you said, he was doing it out of guilt for Lily and because he'd sworn to protect Harry. So hang on. Sorry. So you're saying that- Yep. Dumbledore was lying and Snape wasn't trying to pay back a life debt, but a life debt did exist yes. between James and Snape. Right, okay. Yep. Just clearing That's that up saying. before you go on. Um, I think it's good to elaborate uh, the known life debts as recorded on Harry Potter Wiki. So yep. the known life debts are between James Potter and Severus Snape. So this occurred when both of them were attending Hogwarts. Uh, James and Sirius mm-hmm. uh, planned to play a prank on Snape by luring him into the Whomping Willow uh, where he would witness Lupin's transformation and be in danger of being attacked or killed by a werewolf. But James, at the last minute, chickened out and ended up taking Snape out of that situation so that he wouldn't be killed. Um, So that's one (laughs) known life debt that we have written down. Yeah. Just a quick thing there. I'm 
I think what okay. happened is yeah. that Sirius planned the prank and James okay. found out about it and then went to save Snape. So James was never on board for letting Snape get his throat ripped out by a werewolf. Okay, all right, important distinction. The next known life debt that we have is Harry Potter and yeah. Peter Pettigrew. So this is made in Harry's third year at Hogwarts. Uh, Lupin and Sirius are prepared to murder Peter Pettigrew for what he did and in betraying Lily and James. Um, but Harry says, no, don't kill him. Mm -hmm. We'll hand him over to the Dementors. We'll hand him over to Azkaban. So Harry has a moment of mercy and spares Peter Pettigrew's life. Ultimately, it doesn't work out because Peter Pettigrew escapes. But then uh, later on, yep. Dumbledore, this is like when Dumbledore talks a bit more extensively about life debts. He's like, oh, I have a feeling that Peter Pettigrew owes you a life debt now because you spared his life tonight. And later on in the seventh book at the skirmish at Malfoy Manor, mm -hmm. Harry um, is being held at throat by Peter Pettigrew. And Harry reminds him that, you know, Peter owes Harry his life. And so Peter's hand unclenches and he stops trying to kill Harry. Then, mm -hmm. unfortunately, the hand that was given to him as a gift by Voldemort senses the weakness and turns against its owner and kills Peter Pettigrew. So, uh, yeah. do you have anything to say about that? Any modifications mm -hmm. to those known life debts or anything? No, I think it's interesting that there are only two confirmed life debts in the story, and both of them are confirmed by Dumbledore, the liar. <laughs> because if you just look at the series, like, if you just look at the things that happen in the books, it seems like there should be life debts left, right, and center. Like, Harry saves so many people, and so many people save Harry. Why aren't there life debts all over the place? Why does no one else ever talk about them? Only Dumbledore. I have an answer to that. So that did that did come to mind um, because obviously Harry's uh, caught up in a life debt that we see played out to its full. Uh, so I thought, okay, Harry spares uh, Peter Pettigrew's life, but he also saves mm -hmm. other lives. For instance, he saves Ron's life from being poisoned at sixth year. He saves Ginny's life in the Chamber of Secrets. He saves Arthur Weasley's life, three Weasleys in one, yep. uh, when Arthur Weasley's being attacked by a snake. So then I thought about it and I thought, what's different in these situations mm -hmm. to, the, to the situation with Pettigrew and then to the situation yep. with Snape and um, James Potter? And I thought, okay, uh, maybe a life debt is only formed in circumstances where a witch mm -hmm. or wizard shows mercy or spares the life of another. So it is a form of saving their life, but only because the life in question is within their direct responsibility to save as they have a position of power to end that life. So I'm just going to explain. Okay. In the circumstances of uh, Ginny, Ron, and Arthur. Harry didn't poison Ron. Mm -hmm. Harry didn't take Ginny to the Chamber of Secrets. Harry didn't attack Arthur with the snake. He was witnessing it as it was being possessed, but he didn't personally set the snake on Arthur. In the instance of Peter Pettigrew, Harry, in that situation, had the most right. authority and the final word to determine whether Peter Pettigrew was going to live or die in that tricking shack, because he was the son of the people that P Peter Pettigrew betrayed and ultimately got murdered. So L Lupin and Sirius would have listened to Harry's word, as we saw. In the circumstance of James Potter, mm -hmm. James was directly involved in that incident, and he yep. decided to say, no, we're not going to kill Severus like that. We're going to spare him and showed mercy and helped Snape out that situation. So it's a difference because it's, it's about showing mercy when you yourself have the person's life theoretically, in your hand. And that's the difference between saving someone and sparing someone. Yeah. I like the idea that a life debt is formed when you spare yeah. someone, when you show mercy, not when you save someone through heroism or quick thinking or whatever. But I don't think that's what happened either with James and Snape or with Harry. Oh, with, sorry, with Harry and Pettigrew, yes, that is what happened. Harry showed mercy. 
but Harry wasn't the one who was about to kill Pettigrew. So Harry intervened. <laughs> I don't think he showed mercy. Like, he wasn't the one standing there with an axe, I was about to say, with a wand. <laughs> I'm reimagining that scene. <laughs> Ready to kill um, Peter. So it still applies, but mm, I don't know. I think it's closer to what he did when he stepped in to save um, Ginny and Arthur and Ron, because he was intervening in what in the events that were already about to happen. But specifically, I don't think the idea of sparing Snape and showing mercy is what happened with James and Sirius and Snape. I, we don't know exactly what happened there, but I always imagined it as Sirius being, you know, young and reckless and not really thinking through what's happening. Gets tired of Snape always being on their case and always trying to figure out what's going on with Remus and always trying to follow them and find them, catch them out. So he's like, hey, you know what? If you want to find out what's going on with Remus, just go look at the Shrieking Jack. Go fucking figure it out, you idiot. So <laughs> not really thinking that all the way through, because obviously if Snape does go to the Shrieking Shack, mm. he's going to get killed by Lupin, which is going to wreck Lupin. I don't think Sirius would have wanted that to happen. And so James, hearing about this, is like, Sirius, you fucking idiot. What have you done? This is the stupidest, most reckless thing you've ever done. I have to stop it. And that's how that happened. I don't think James was in on the prank and changed his mind and decided to show mercy. So I don't think it applies. See, I kind of think he was in on the prank. I know what you said earlier. It could be plausible, but I think he it's just as plausible that he could have been in on the prank as well. Because who do we hear tell the story about uh, the life debt in case? So uh, d doesn't mm -hmm. Sirius say, oh, I was going to play a dumb prank on Snape? But uh, your father intervened. Yeah. Yeah. Your father intervened. Yeah. It's Sirius that tells the story. Now, when Sirius talks about James Potter, he tends to talk about him through rose-tinted glasses, especially when he's talking to Harry, because he doesn't want Harry to think badly of his father. However, now, I hate to rely on Snape as a credible source. <laughs> that's, that's the last thing I want to do. <laughs> but when Snape talks about how James Potter acted in high school, he's not wrong. And we see that from Snape's memory. James Potter was arrogant, he was rude, mm -hmm. he was a bully, and that's clear from what we see in Snape's memory. Snape also said that James was involved in the trick against him to end his life mm -hmm. with the werewolf prank. He said that, that it, was, it was a ploy between James and Sirius. So I'm more likely to believe that Snape was right. Maybe James wasn't the instigator of the prank, maybe he just laughed along with it, right. but then when it started to get real, when it was actually the night of uh, the full moon, and they were heading out to the Whomping Willow, and Sirius is still talking about it, like, oh yeah, Severus is going to come in on us later. James actually started to think about it and go, oh no, this is not right. I shouldn't have said anything, and we've got to stop it. So that's what I'm inclined to believe happened. Mm -hmm. But we don't have the evidence. That's yeah. the problem. I just disagree, because we don't know what happened. I think that what I think happened is what happened. <laughs> I think both... Um, takes are just as plausible. So I think that my theory about sparing someone's life is just as credible. Yeah. I'll give you that. <laughs> so that's why I was able to distinguish between everyone saving each other's life all the time and Harry saving lives all the time. And that's why life debts aren't just made willy-nilly. They are, they are actually a distinct circumstance. And that's why the magic is quite strong. Okay. So I I right. want to talk a lot about... Harry and Pettigrew and what happened there. But while we're on the topic of James and Snape, 
Let's talk about the fact that Snape can apparently repay his debt to James by saving Harry. Because to me, that doesn't make any sense. If life debts are not an actual binding magical contract, if they're just like, if there's just an idea in society that if this guy saves me, I owe him one, then that's fine. Because I think that's all there really is. I think there's a general idea that, oh, you know, I owe this guy my life. And that's what Dumbledore's building his lie off of. Yeah. So if the Snape James life debt is transferable by blood, what does that mean for life debts? Okay. Is that your question? Yeah. Why, if Snape owes James his life, why doesn't that Mm -hmm. get paid when James is like, hide, when, sorry, when Snape is like, hide um, the Potters from Voldemort? Or why doesn't it get doubled when he's like, hey, Voldemort, someone's going to get born who's going to kill you. And then that leads to James's eventual death. All right. So my theory about Snape is that uh, let's just, let's analyze and see if he fits into what we understand about life debts, first of all. So the argument could be made that Snape was absolved of his life debt to James when he eventually urged Dumbledore to protect all the Potters from Voldemort's imminent attack, as you said. Mm -hmm. But I disagree with this, uh, because I think that Snape's intentions about this situation were purely about protecting Lily, because that's who he cared about. Yeah. So it it didn't count for absolving his life debt to James, because it was all about Lily. You Mm -hmm. could also argue that Snape protecting Harry throughout the years was paying back the debt, but I disagree to this as well because, again, this was about Lily. It does state in the definition I gave at the beginning of the episode, it does state that in the Harry Potter universe, a life debt is not as simplistic as a life for a life, as we see in the Pettigrew Harry case. Mm -hmm. So, thus, Snape making efforts to protect Lily and Harry could be seen as repaying the deed by doing something beneficial to the saviour, in quotes as is stated in the, in the definition. However, like I said, I don't think that Snape saw this as, oh, I'm doing this to pay back James for giving me my life when I was a teenager, and that's ben- benefiting him because he, he loves Lily and he loves Harry. No, he's doing this because he loves Lily. Snape loved Lily, and that's the only reason that he wanted to protect James, Harry, and Lily in any situation. Yeah. So my argument is that Snape was never absolved of his life debt, that he was always resistant to his magical bonds um, over the debt and suffered for it. So you asked earlier on this episode, what happens if you don't pay a life debt back? And my answer is look at Snape. (laughs) Because I think that that, that he's the walking evidence of what happens when you don't pay back a life debt because his life was shit. He was never (laughs) able to give life to anyone when you think about it, in the traditional sense, he was never, he never had children, but um, in just another sense, he, when did he save someone's life that it wasn't for the obligation towards Lily? Never. He never did anything that was selfless, except (laughs) for Lily, and arguably even then. Yes. So, he also formed no close connections, except for his, in quotes, dearest friend, Dumbledore, but Snape was (laughs) forced to take his life, so that's just- So that makes me think, okay, even though I don't believe that Snape and Dumbledore were dear friends, I think Snape was Dumbledore's bitch and that's all there is to it. But if Pottermore wants to insist to me that Snape and Dumbledore were besties, (laughs) then it kind of fits into my theory that Snape was cursed because he could never form any close connections for not repaying his life debt and he had to actually kill the closest connection that he had. So that's my theory about what happens if you can't repay a light debt. Ultimately, you're forced to live a lonely, sad, and 
anger filled life. <laughs> okay. So, do you think that started for Snape after James died, or do you think it started, I don't know, like within a six month window when he hadn't paid back the life debt? What's the time period on it? I think it's if you don't pay back the life debt before the, the savior in question dies. So, when James died, like ultimately, I know Snape's always had a shit life, but I mm-hmm. think. There was no chance of recovery once James died. If if Snape had done something to absolve himself of his life debt, then he might have had more of an opportunity. That, you know, because fate is real in Harry Potter. We've discussed yep. this. Uh, <laughs> so the fates instantly turned um, out of Severus's favor once he failed to repay the life debt to James, and, and James died. And mm-hmm. uh, and because he didn't even try to repay it as well to James, um. And James died. I think that the fates really turned against him and just made things difficult for him from then on. Obviously, I reckon you could absolve yourself of a life debt and still make things difficult for yourself with your own choices, but the fates would yeah. have forgiven you for not for, for repaying the life debt in question. Okay. Interesting that you keep referring to the fates as as if they're like <laughs> characters. We'll come back characters. to that. I mean <laughs> at some point. I'm not- I'm just using that as an expression. It's, I'm not saying yeah. that the, the Merakai fates, not the Merakai, that's, that's a different word in Greek. I'm not saying that the three fates are actually real characters in Harry Potter. I'm just saying fate mm-hmm. is a character, not a character. It's a concept that is working in the universe and is a functional concept in the universe. Yeah. I hate what you just said. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like the idea that somebody can save your life and then if you don't pay that debt back quickly enough then you're fucked forever like partially i get that it is because snape never tried to do anything for james he never tried to pay that debt back he actively tried to harm james every way that he could yeah but oh fuck what if i'm walking down the street and somebody's like oh shit and they push me out of the way of the night bus and save my life and I'm like, yep. oh man, I really owe you one. And then, like, they get struck by lightning and die. And I'm like, well, I'm fucked now. That's it. I'm done. Well, that's I can not- never pay back this debt. That's not the right thing because, in my definition, it's not saving someone's life; it's sparing someone's life. So, right, right. someone would have to first spare your life. Then, let's say, yes, you're indebted to them, and they die by a lightning strike. Well, I think if your original intention in that few seconds is. I want to pay this person back and repay them for giving me my life, then <laughs> there would be mercy given to you. Because it, like the thing is with Snape is that he's ultimately cursed because even though James saved his life, he still hated James. He still wanted James to suffer and he did not give a shit about James's life. And that's what really fucked mm-hmm. it for him. And I think okay. if, he, if he'd actually shown appreciation and decided I have to look past my hatred of this person and even try and forgive them because they had mercy for me, I should have mercy for them, um, that he would have been absolved in some way or another, even if he hadn't been successful in saving James. So okay. that's my that's my take. So obviously, uh, or even it could be the other way around, but even if you do try everything and you fail, you're still cursed. I mean, that could still be canon because, you know, Harry Potter world is merciless sometimes. <laughs> like, it yeah, just, it's it just feels like that. It just be like that. Like, <laughs> Magic's weird and fickle and not always fair. Sometimes no. people just get screwed to all hell because that's yeah. the way it is. Mm-hmm. Okay. I basically have no thoughts on Snape and James and their life debt because I don't think it's real. <laughs> I think it's just a lie that Dumbledore told. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, yeah, I think everything that J- uh, everything that Snape ever did was motivated like out of pure self-interest or out of whatever emotion he felt towards Lily. I don't want to call it love because it's not. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think he ever felt ev- indebted to James at all. I think in his brain, you actually mentioned this before, I think that James never wanted to kill Snape and I think that he tried to save Snape. In James's mind, fuck, I keep mixing them up. (laughs) In Snape's mind, I think he thinks that James actively was trying to kill him and only failed out of some sort of last minute cowardice or whatever. I don't think that he believes that James actually saved him and that he should in some way feel indebted towards James. Okay. Well, yeah, I mean, because we don't know the full facts of that, what happened on that night, it really does hinder whether this laughter is real or not. If James was involved in the prank actively and he decided to spare Snape's life, then the life debt's in place and everything I said about Snape being cursed because he didn't want to absolve himself is factual. Oh, in my mm-hmm. opinion, factual. And yeah. if it turns out that James had no idea until the last second and was like, no, this isn't right, we have to save him, then life debt was never in place in my definition of what a life debt is. So it's not mm-hmm. a real life debt. Yeah. And according to me, no matter what happens, it's not real because they're just a made up story. <laughs> <laughs> so do we, that's, we don't know the full situation there. As we've said, do we want to start talking about Harry and Pettigrew where we do have all the facts? Yeah, let's get into it. All right. Here's, I have the quote from Dumbledore. I've edited it a bit because I mm-hmm. stole it from Pottermore. I stole it from HP Wiki because I still don't have access to my books. Still can't do research. (laughs) So here's a edited version of what Dumbledore said. Pettigrew owes his life to you. You have sent Voldemort a deputy who is in your debt. Mm. When one wizard saves another wizard's life, it creates a certain bond between them. This is magic at its deepest, its most impenetrable, Harry. But basically he's saying it's like like the Goblet of Fire. The debt is is ironclad. You can't... You can't contest mm-hmm. the goblet. He has to compete. If you are in a yeah. life debt, you have to do something about it. You can't just ignore it. It's binding. So, mm-hmm. And he's definitely implying that there's a magical thing there. It's a real contract. Life debts exist. And I think he just fucking lied again. He was just lying. Harry, <laughs> at the end of the third book, had just lost Sirius. Yep. Lupin had just left Hogwarts and Peter Pettigrew was just set loose out into the world. Presumably he's going to go find Voldemort. Who the fuck knows what he's going to do? So Dumbledore's just trying to cheer Harry up. He's trying to reassure him. And he's also trying to enforce the idea that Harry did the right thing by showing mercy. Because Mm. Dumbledore, to use Snape's words, is raising Harry like a pig for slaughter. So... Whatever else is going on and whatever his personal relationship with Harry, Dumbledore is trying to create a person who will not only grow up and be willing to fight Voldemort for the magical world, but also be willing to sacrifice his own life to save the people he loves. So to do that, he has to interact with this young, highly impressionable teenager (laughs) in a way that encourages traits like mercy and empathy and love. Because Dumbledore knows those are the qualities that Harry needs to defeat Voldemort. So he's just, he's just lying. He's just, everything he says is lies. Okay. uh, Again, I 50% agree, 50% disagree. (laughs) So (laughs) yes, Dumbledore is grooming Harry to be a pig for slaughter. Yeah. All that's true about him 
instilling strong ideas of mercy and empathy and love. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, cool, cool, cool. But mm-hmm. when he says to Harry, oh, you just sent a servant to Voldemort who is thoroughly in your debt and this could come back to, uh, you know, this is of benefit to you. I, mm-hmm. I mean, that's dangerous. Like you said, Harry's very impressionable. If it was a lie, yeah. it's, it's dangerous to say that to Harry because Harry might cling on to that and be like, well, that could come in handy later because Harry does use that later. <laughs> he said, like, that's in- exactly what I think he did. I think that was intentional. That's what Dumbledore wanted Harry to do. Yeah, but if it was a lie, then it wouldn't have worked, would it? If Harry had been held up by Pettigrew by his neck and it, if, if life debts weren't real and Harry's like, you owe me a debt, Pettigrew, and Pettigrew's just like, fuck you, and squeezes harder, then, like, <laughs> doesn't no. matter. That would have been useless. <laughs> yeah, okay. So, here's my argument about Peter Pettigrew. Let's just talk about this guy for a while. Oh. So, I think that when Dumbledore told Harry that Voldemort doesn't want a servant in his debt, I don't think it was because Pettigrew owed Harry some vague but binding magical debt. I think it's because Dumbledore wanted to plant the idea in Harry's mind that Pettigrew deserved a chance to redeem himself. So we don't know much about Peter Pettigrew and what he did in the First War. So a lot of this is my own headcanons, and feel free to (laughs) come back at me with your headcanons, which are different. All right. But I think that because Peter Pettigrew was a Gryffindor and a member of the Order of the Phoenix, I think Dumbledore probably knew him pretty well. Mm -hmm. And I think that before he joined the Dark Lord... Peter Pettigrew was just a pretty okay person. Okay. Like, he was friends with James and Lily and Sirius and Remus, and I think they're all a pretty good judge of character. And also, when Sirius killed Peter, everyone remembered him as a martyr and a war hero. In our last episode, we talked about how Peter Pettigrew only got into Gryffindor because he wanted to be brave. Mm-hmm. Like, I know that he betrayed Lily and James, and that was awful. It was irredeemable it was the worst thing that a person could do but he did it out of cowardice and fear i'm not trying to downplay the terribleness of it but i think that before the terror and his own weakness drove him to do that i think peter was a good person and i think that there is a very strong part of him that wants to be better that wishes he had made better choices and ended up on the right side so i think that's what dumbledore's gambling on i think when he tells harry you know peter owes you one He's betting on the idea that if Peter and Harry ever got into a direct confrontation, if Harry gives Peter a chance to do the right thing, to spare his life and show mercy like Harry did, Peter's going to do it. And that's why Dumbledore implied there was a life debt when really no such thing happens. He's just betting on human behavior. Okay. Um, I love that theory. (laughs) And I think- Yes. I think it's, it's right, but it could also still be right fitting into my theory that life debts are real- and Peter was just a person. It's, yeah, that's true. Uh, Peter was just a person who responded to a life debt uh, with solemnity, right? He's like, okay, um, maybe it didn't acknowledge in his head at first what had happened on that night in Prison of Azkaban, in the third book. But when Harry reminded him in seventh mm-hmm. book, uh, when Peter had his throat to his neck, you owe me a life debt. Yes, yeah. the Peter lit up and said, "I'm what I'm doing is wrong, but also it's an instinct of, right, I do owe him a life debt. I, I shouldn't be trying to kill him because I'll be cursed and it's a terrible thing for me to do. So it was also out of mm-hmm. fear as well of not absolving his life debt because he does yeah. act on fear. Also, as you say, as is, as you said before, he does. one of his primary instincts is to act on fear. Mm-hmm. Rat bastard. 
just in favor of your argument, <laughs> just to argue completely against my own side, which I occasionally do, if life debts are real and Peter has a moment of, oh shit, I do owe Harry a life and I do have to spare him at some point or I'm forever cursed. Yes. That moment in seventh book when he's sent down to retrieve Harry from the basement and nobody else is there but Ron. Yep. There's no Malfoys, there's no Voldemort to witness. That would be the perfect moment to give Harry a second chance yep. because nobody would ever know. So it does make sense that he's like, oh shit, I've got this life debt. I've got to pay it. Now's the time. Yes. Because I'll get away with it, basically. Yep. And then obviously he doesn't. Yeah. And I want to just mention that hand. Um in case anyone's thinking, oh, well, if life debts are real and Peter Pettigrew spared Harry, thus absolving himself of the debt and giving back a life for a life, why did the hand suddenly, like, kill him? Wasn't that sort of like a curse? Well, yeah. no. I'm going to say that that's a different kind of magic. The life debt magic is binding and law and blah, blah, blah. But the hand that was given to Peter mm -hmm. Pettigrew by Voldemort was basically a weapon given by Voldemort. So yeah. when Peter Pettigrew is using this hand, it's Voldemort's will that Peter Pettigrew is bending to with the hand. And so because Peter Pettigrew had Harry's neck in his in this magical weapon hand and released it, the hand sensed weakness and turned on its own controller and killed it because it's like, no, nah, can't show weakness, not even once, get wrecked. That was Voldemort's yeah. curse magic, not yeah. the life debt turning against Peter Pettigrew or anything like that. That was a different kind of magic. 100% I agree with that as well. Yeah. I think that um, because I'm arguing that Peter has a side of him that's good, I don't think he ever really wanted to hurt Harry. Mm. Um, I think he's always just willing to do terrible things if that's what's going to save his own skin. Yeah. So if you remember back at the beginning of the fourth book, back when Voldemort's that weak little snake milk baby, <laughs> and Pettigrew's like... Maybe we don't need to get Potter. Maybe we can just use somebody else. I think Voldemort sees that as pure weakness. Yeah. Because if someone like Bellatrix was there, someone who's more vicious and more loyal, they would be like, yeah, let's get that fucking Potter. Yeah. <laughs> Kill him. <laughs> so I think also, you know, Voldemort's a mind reader. So I think he knows that Peter is reluctant to hurt Harry. Maybe because he just doesn't want to hurt anyone or maybe because out of some loyalty to James... So when Voldemort made Pettigrew his new arm, he embedded in the magic that if Peter ever showed the slightest moment of mercy for Harry Potter, that hand would kill him. Mm. So the whole situation there has nothing to do with a life debt. It was all about Voldemort's paranoia and Wormtail's like reluctance and, I don't know, Harry's sense of justice and Dumbledore's the fucking puppet master that <laughs> engineered that whole situation. <laughs> As usual. Yeah. Okay, so basically with this debate that we've had, we've both come to the conclusions that could legitimise life debts being real and life debts being a falsity, which is fascinating. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like it could, both, it could yeah. work both ways. Yeah, I like that this is kind of, this is a little bit the opposite of our why is Harry so angsty episode, mm. because in that episode – you were arguing, look, it's just basic human psychology. This is what's happening to Harry. He's experienced trauma. And I was arguing, maybe he's experienced trauma, but maybe there's also a magical explanation. And in this episode, we're doing the exact opposite, yeah. where I'm saying it's all human behavior. It's all psychology and interaction. And you're arguing, maybe there's a magical explanation. Yeah. Uh, honestly, it could be both. could be both coexisting. Yeah. Mm. Here's my... <sighs> final piece of evidence towards this. I have a quote from J.K. Rowling. Okay. 
Here we go. From an interview in Carnegie Hall, I might be saying that wrong, I don't know how to pronounce words, in 2007, somebody asked, does Draco Malfoy owe Harry a life debt, I'm assuming for saving him from the Fiend right. Fire in Seventh right, Book? Okay. And while she's responding to that, um, JK says, when Dumbledore said to Harry, Voldemort won't want a close associate who is in your debt, I wasn't implying that there was any kind of magical bond there. It was more that Dumbledore's extensive wisdom and knowledge of human nature, <laughs> he knew, as Harry later thinks in book seven, he knew that Pettigrew would react a certain way to having saved his life. And then it just goes on about Pettigrew and blah, 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 right. blah. Yeah. And the interaction between Harry and Malfoy and how there's no life debt there. So she doesn't definitively say life debts don't exist. But she definitely says, in the case of Harry and Pettigrew, there is no life debt. It's all about just the way that they interact with each other and the people that they are. So if there's no life debt there, and frankly, it doesn't make any sense for James and Snape to have a life debt going on because James only ever acted out of serving Lily. I just don't think they exist. There's no evidence they exist. So you mean uh, Snape only ever acted out of serving Lily, not James? Yes, I keep mixing up Snape and James, but you know what I mean. Um, look, that quote's pretty heartbreaking for my argument. <laughs> <laughs> also, I found that after I'd written all of my oh, arguments, man. I went to be like, I wrote this entire argument just off the top of my head, and then I'm like, maybe I should go look for some evidence, and I immediately found a quote from JK that backed up everything I'd said. Oh, that sucks. I did not find that. I did like a yeah. bit more research. Um, into life debts, but yeah, I did not find that. Well, that's a shame, but <laughs> look, like I've said before, <laughs> what JK says <laughs> is her opinion, <laughs> and what we say yeah. is our opinion, and listeners, you decide, you know? I think, yeah. realistically, both our theories work just have just as much credibility as one another, and they could work in coexistence. Mm-hmm. So, you know what? Life debts could be real, they could not be real. I personally like to think they are real. I personally like to think they're not. <laughs> um, I I don't know if I should have said this earlier, but I did a bit of research on just life debts as a literary trope because I was interested to see where they come from on yeah. a historical basis. Because you see it in like movies and read it in stories all the time of like knights owing uh, lords life debts and serving them forever and stuff like that. So I was like interested to see where it came mm. from. And I read a bit of stuff and there's like, the tropes of two strangers are involved in a life-saving incident and one is indebted to the other. So I had, like, uh, in Lord of the Rings, <laughs> you know, the part where yeah. in the movie in Two Towers where Frodo's like, oh, look at them lights in the water, and he just goes nose-diving in and Smeagol saves his life. <laughs> Smeagol pulls him out of the water, he's like, don't follow the lights! And then later on, uh, mm-hmm. when Faramir and his men have all their arrows pointed at Smeagol, Frodo's like, no, no, don't hurt him, I... I'm indebted to this creature, as they give that. Um, and there's also sometimes arch enemies owe a life debt to one another. And I was thinking of in Avatar Last Airbender, yep. Zuko and Aang. So Zuko, as the <laughs> blue spirit, saves Aang from Admiral Jadal's, uh holding of him. But then later on, Aang saves Zuko from dying in the North Pole by leaving him unconscious in the snow. There's sometimes a trope where one or both the characters come from a culture where the idea of a life debt is binding and holds a lot of weight. So this, there was a lot of commentary about um, yeah. life debts in literature as a trope and how it's often about settlers and uh, indigenous cultures and how there seems to be an idea of um, a settler saves an indigenous person 
and therefore that Indigenous person owes the settler a life debt. That comes up a lot in sci-fi, in fantasy, Mm, in historical fiction a lot, and it's weird. That's a weird sort of like a voluntary slavery it, sort of no, myth. Don't it, like that. I know, uh-uh, it really no. upset me and it really comes across as trying to uh, paint mm. the idea of the, uh, in quotes, acceptable native stereotype where it's like, oh, this one's the good one, yeah. you know, and I didn't like that. But um, <laughs> <laughs> the one that voluntarily serves me for his entire yeah. life. I thought, no, no, bad, racist, I thought that no, was quite like problematic, it. but it was interesting to read that and actually have a lot of things click in my brain of like, oh yeah, that comes up all the time. Like, comes up in Jar Jar Binks, for mm-hmm. goodness sake, in like the Star Wars prequels. He just ends up serving the Jedi forever because yeah. he gets saved for them. And I also thought of um, Game of Thrones. A better example in Game of Thrones is when uh, Arya saves Jack and Hagar from burning to death with uh, two other men. And so he owes her three lives. He owes three mm-hmm. lives to the, the god of death. Yeah. Then I have, this is a funny one. So sometimes the saved person is merely indebted to the savior for a one-time only deal. At other times, the saved person sees their life being saved as an instance of changing fate and so takes it upon themselves to guard and protect their savior forevermore or else in their servitude. And my example was Toy Story. <laughs> so um, <laughs> the three yeah. little aliens. <laughs> That Mr. Potato Head saves from, like, uh, being dropped out of the side of a car. <laughs> They're like, oh, you have saved our lives. We are totally grateful. And then in Toy Story 3, <laughs> they save him from and all his friends. And it's like, oh, you have saved our lives. We are totally grateful. And I was like, oh, my God, it's a life. So, <laughs> <laughs> <But> yeah. That's- <laughs> oh, Toy Story. <laughs> Truly the greatest piece of literature in our Toy time. Story listeners. It's the best. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> That was interesting. Thanks for taking us through the history yeah, of that literature. I tried to trick. find if there was like, um, any uh, cultural weight to life debts in different countries. I looked up in Britain because I was thinking of knights, but I couldn't find anything. Um, I looked in China because it came up with a lot of Chinese proverbs, apparently. People online were thinking, oh, I heard like my grandmother saying this when I was younger about if you owe, like, if someone like sacrificed something for you, you owe them a life debt and all this sort of stuff. I looked in Japan, but I couldn't find if there was like an original source or an original cultural idea for it a life debt anywhere. Um, it seems to just be kind of a human idea that we have, mm. of, like life for a life. <laughs> I think the general concept of like a life for a life is something that's just been around yeah. forever. And yeah, in conclusion, I like life debts in literature, except for the whole gross um, problematic issue with the indigenous <laughs> representation. Um, <laughs> yeah. No, no, that's, that's bad. bad. Don't like that but one. I like, I like life debts generally in literature and as a real life thing, I take it on board. I mean, we should owe someone a life debt. They saved our lives when we when we nearly drowned when we were younger, but we have no idea who he was. He just went off. Yeah, we we owe that random anonymous guy both of our <laughs> lives. We should be so We should him. be. <laughs> we are eternally grateful, but um, we have no yeah. idea who he was or how to <laughs> pay him back for that, but- if I did, I would pay him back because I yeah. think that a life debt is an honourable thing to respect. That's all I've got to say. I also, I really like the idea of, first of all, I just like the idea of living for a cause <laughs> yeah. and I like the idea of living for another person. So life debts play into that. I've seen them in stories sometimes where I really like mm. them. Oh, one example that you should know. Actually, no, I don't want to give this series any attention. Okay, I'll just be nice and vague. <laughs> Listeners just be prepared for this so there's a series of books which you've probably read gem and i don't want to say what it is because it's the gross series where every single female character either gets Uh, pregnant at some point or is specifically 
said to yeah. be barren. Like it's it's weird with its fucking gender politics. I know what you're talking about. <laughs> but there is a moment in the book. Yeah. There's a moment in the book where a character who's basically like um like the the ferryman from old Greek mythology who takes you into yeah. the underworld is like, okay, so if you want me to save this many lives, I'm going to need to take your life in payment. And the character's like, yes, I agree to that. And then he's like, but first I need to get these people to safety, so I'll come back and you can take my life then. And the ferryman's like, I agree. And then he returns and he's like, yup, and he kneels down, he's like, you can kill me or whatever. He's like, uh, no, because you promised me your life, not your death. I'm not going to fucking kill you. You have to stay here and yeah. work for me. For your entire life, that's what you promised. I like things yeah. like that, where you you pay a debt through service. I think that's a cool idea that could be done well in stories. Or it can be racist yeah. and bad. Yeah, um, I agree. <laughs> yeah. Well, I've been Jem, and Snape was a piece of shit and deserved to die in pain. This has nothing to do with life debt, so I just, I'm just <laughs> rambling on about Snape. Host. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I've been Rhea, and ask me why I think Peter Pettigrew is infinitely more redeemable than Snape, because <laughs> I have opinions. Thanks for listening to Podcast 9 and 3 Quarters. This show is written and edited by Rhea and Jem. You can send us an email at 9 and 3 quarters podcast at gmail.com, find us on Tumblr, Facebook, and Instagram at Podcast 9 and 3 Quarters, or talk to us separately on Twitter. Rhea is at SmashMouthRhea, and me, Jem, is at Jem underscore just Jem. Please feel free to send theories or ask us questions, and bombard us with so many messages that we go mad and run away to a hut on a rock in the middle of the sea just to avoid them. Our logo art is by Winged Corgi. Find more of her art at wingedcorgi.tumblr.com. This week's intro music was an unofficial track from the Prison of Azkaban school called Peter Pettigrew by John Williams, and our outro music was Hedwig's theme by John Williams. We'll hear from us again in two weeks' time. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.